This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is Friday the 4th of November and a busy show for you coming up. We're going to kick off with the big economic story overnight. Yet another central bank raising interest rates, this time the Bank of England. Also going to look at the UAE economy. What else do we have for you? Well, we're talking about unemployment insurance in the UAE. We're getting so many questions in about this that we've got a lawyer on, Luke Tapp from the law firm Pinson Masons. Elsewhere, talking about manufacturing made in the UAE, make it in the Emirates. His Excellency Omar Al-Sawadi is the Undersecretary of the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology. We are going to hear from him. Spoke to him at Adipec this week. And finally, talking economics with Stephen Anderson. He's a partner at PwC. The question is, how are the Gulf economies booming so much at the moment, UAE, Saudi Arabia, when the global economy is facing such stress? Stephen and his team have some thoughts. All that to come. First up, though, let's dive straight into that breaking economic news overnight. The Bank of England, the latest to raise interest rates. Yeah, where we have been taking a bit of a trip down memory lane. That is a 1989 anthem, if ever there was one. Uh, Name that tune. Eternal Flame, the Bangles. Quite right, too. Yeah, name the Bangles. Oh, come on. (laughs) Have you met them? I've never met the Bangles, and I don't think I could. I should be able to name a Bangle. Um, There will be somebody listening into the show now who can probably name all of the Bangles. If you can, please do text us on 4001. Why on earth are we playing late 80s on the business breakfast, Richard Dean. Because interest rates are rising, the steepest interest rate increase by the Bank of England since 1989. So we're playing number one hit singles from 1989. They are doing it to fight inflation. But here's the headline on Reuters. The Bank of England raises rates by the most since 89 even as a long recession looms. So we've called in Dan Richards, senior economist, Emirates MBD, to ask the question, why are we having such a divergent view on fighting inflation in the East and the West? The big Western central banks, the big three, are raising rates. The Fed on Wednesday, the European Central Bank a few days ago, and the Bank of England yesterday. And yet the big Asian central banks, second biggest economy, China, third biggest economy, Japan, keeping rates on hold because they're worried about recession. So we asked Dan Richards, who's right? The session yesterday in the UK was pretty dispiriting. If you watched the uh, conference with Andrew Bailey afterwards, there's some pretty dire warnings from a bank around the coming rise in unemployment and that it expects a recession to last well into 2024. So while the recession will be shallower than recent ones, it will be more prolonged. So the question is, I guess, given all of this, are the major central banks doing the right thing by raising rates going into recession, given the negative impact that that is clearly going to have on growth? Um, well, unfortunately, I think that central bankers are well aware of what the fallout from this, but they continue to caution the alternative, i.e. entrenched and pernicious inflation, will be worse. And it's true that the initial drivers of a very high price growth we've seen over the last year or so were factors outside of that control, be it food or energy. But in recent months, it's increasingly been services and shelter and other stickier uh, forms of uh, components of a basket that have driven prices up. 
Now, not all major central banks are taking this approach of hiking presently, of course, with China and Japan being two good examples. But it's worth noting that obviously there's always differences between different markets and inflation there has been a much slighter issue so far. And there remain other differences as well, not least the ongoing lockdowns in China that are weighing on demand there. And the effects of not hiking are plain to see on the Japanese yen. And indeed, it was the Bank of England saying yesterday that banks were expecting too many hikes, but saw sterling sell off once more yesterday, potentially perpetuating that inflationary loop. That is Dan Richards. He is Senior Economist at Emirates NBD. Messages coming in about the bangles. Have you seen this one, Tom? I said go. Susanna Hoffs is the ah. one everyone should know. Of course, Fair yes. point, well made. Thanks very much indeed. David's written in with his request for the playlist. If you don't play, if you play Jive Bunny and the Mix Masters oh. on the radio, oh. I will switch off. Because we're looking at the music of 1989. There were 17 number one hits in the UK in 1989. Uh, just to remind you, we're talking about that because the Bank of England raised rates for the, uh, the steepest interest rate rise since 1989. Four of the 17 number one hits were by Kylie and Jason, <laughs> which is slightly depressing. But there were some good songs there as well. We had a bit of Soul to Soul. Bangles were in there as well. We had some Simple Minds. So it wasn't all bad. Uh, but yeah, Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers, whatever they were called, that was a, not a good moment <laughs> so in pop culture history. Inflation was high. And to, to, to try and calm our nerves, we had a Jason and Kylie uh, to try and uh, deal with it. Listen, that's what's going over in the UK. A lot of people will ask, OK, what sort of impact does that have with us here in the UAE? You got numbers through yesterday, didn't you? PMI numbers. Yeah, we had PMI, which kind of broke towards the end of the show yesterday. So we didn't get a chance to dive into it in detail. Look, the numbers were good. And these are numbers from, what's it called this week? It's S&P, Standard & Poor's now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was IHS, then it was IHS Market, and now it's S&P. And then it was sponsored by HSB, and then it was sponsored by Emirates MBD. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's the Purchasing Managers Index numbers for the UAE. It looked to us like quite a good print, and any number above 50 is good, and we got 56 or thereabouts. Here's Dan Richards again. Now, yesterday we had the PMI surveys for the UAE for October released, which continued to show a pretty robust expansion in the non-oil private sector. So it rose once again to 56.6 on my headline. That's up from 56.1 the previous month and only just lower than the multi-year high hit in August. And when you look at the sub-indices of a survey, they're also illustrative of an economy that's pretty booming. And indeed, on the back of this strong performance we've seen in the non-oil private sector, we recently revised up our UAE real GDP growth forecast for 2022 from 5.7% to 7%. Now, part of that was driven by the oil sector as well, of course, but largely also from the private sector. Uh, when we look ahead, there are some headwinds coming, but further 75 basis point hike on November 2nd as the UAE Central Bank followed the Fed's lead, uh, the deteriorating global growth outlook. We do expect growth to slow next year. We forecast 3.9%. But that's still holding up pretty well considering what we expect in the rest of the world. And even with that, that slowdown, that forecast slowdown has not yet manifested to date. 
Guy Richards, Emirates MBD. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Okay, time now to focus on one of the big announcements of the week. I say announcements, more an update, I should say. Uh, what was it? Federal government and private sector employees uh, were or are being encouraged to subscribe to the UE's brand new Social Security Support Programme. Uh, from January the 1st, 2023. So confirmed by the Ministry of Human Resources and Emeritization midweek that the start date will be day one of next year. That comes after signing an agreement with nine local insurance companies that set up the framework for what's called the Unemployment Insurance Scheme. But what is it? Who will it impact? Who can take advantage of it? Uh, well, there's only one man to ask. Uh, it is a partner at Pinsent Masons, the person who leads the firm's Middle East employment practice. Uh, Luke Tapp's been kind enough to join us live on the line, live via Microsoft Teams this morning. Morning, Luke. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good. Um, a little bit confused, and therefore, thankfully, I've got you on the line to put us straight on this one. So, first and foremost, the overview, your reaction uh, to this update on the Unemployment Insurance Scheme. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Um, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a really positive um, initiative generally. I thought that when it was when it was first announced several months ago, when we saw the, the law that, that um, set out the framework for this unemployment insurance scheme, uh, and then seeing the announcements this week, it's all been extremely positive. It's obviously a, a social security initiative. It's designed to provide a safety net um, for employees working within the federal sector but in the private sector as well of the UAE so should they should they lose their role uh, with their organization there will be a soft landing there will continue they will continue to receive some form of remuneration for up to three months following the termination of their employment January the 1st 2023 go date as well is that too soon or again have we had the right due diligence ahead of uh, putting together the network and the framework for this um, I think it is. It, well, I don't think it's too soon. I think it's the right time. Um, I think that what happened during COVID um, has had a really uh, important impact on the government, but on the on the mentality of the workforce as well. Uh, because of course, during COVID, people were losing their roles through no fault of their own because of the economic situation. And and at the time, flights were grounded. People couldn't repatriate to their home countries. They were left here. Um, without without income. Uh, and so I think coming out of that, it was important for the authorities to design and, and implement a policy like this as soon as they could. And so I think the timing is, is important. Uh, I think it does move fast, but we know that's one of the great um, things, great aspects about working and living in the UAE, that these types of policies can move quickly uh, and and be very dynamic and re- reactive to uh, the current economic climate. So I think it is positive that it's being implemented so quickly. And as you said, with effect from the 1st of January 2023. So let's find out what is being affected. Uh, all too often, a number of people here will probably wrongly read reports like this and say, ah, oh, fine, it's, it's only for uh, the Emirati population here. Uh, it, doesn't, it won't benefit me. There's no point me reading on. What are the categories available and who can benefit from this new scheme? Thanks, Tom. Yeah, everybody uh, can benefit from the new scheme, provided they are in employment. So um, it can be Emiratis for sure. It can be um, employees from other GCC uh, nations, but equally it can be expats from outside of the region working within the federal 
um, working for a federal entity, but working within the private sector as well. So it can apply to to all employees. The distinction um, in the announcements today, and, and it follows through from the distinctions that we'd seen in the federal decree law as well, um, is just around the salary that the person receives, the basic salary. So if a person is current re- currently receiving 16,000 dirhams or less per month, then they fall into a particular category of unemployment insurance, which requires them to pay five dirhams per month uh, and receive the benefit should they be terminated uh, proportionately. And if a person is earning 16 more than 16,000 dirhams per month, they fall into a, a different category, uh, which requires them to pay 10 dirhams per month. But equally, if they are terminated, they, they will receive um, a a payment that's, that's that's slightly higher and reflective of the salary that they're receiving. So that's the only distinction. There's no distinction between um, sectors. There's no distinction between nationalities. The only distinction is between the level of income. And even that distinction doesn't prohibit anybody from subscribing to it. It just means there's two different categories. And in terms of how long one can claim this remuneration for afterwards, for those that have signed up to the system as well. Is this something that has a specific lifespan on it? Yes, it is, Tom. That The lifespan is, is up to three months of post-termination um, remuneration. That, so that's what a person will receive. So actually, it's a good opportunity to just sort of dig into a little bit about what a person will receive if they're terminated. So what, what the announcements are saying, what the law says, is that if a person is dismissed for a non-disciplinary reason, and it doesn't go any further than that, it doesn't define it any further. But a, a good example will be a redundancy dismissal, which is what we saw a lot of during COVID. So if it's a business-related decision to dismiss somebody, that triggers the right to receive income through this insurance scheme. And the amount that a person will receive is capped at 60% of their of them, what was their monthly salary, uh, but it's up to a maximum of 10,000 dirhams per month if a person was in that lower bracket of receiving 16,000 dirhams per month before the dismissal. So capped at 10,000 dirhams per month for that that category of worker and capped at 20,000 dirhams per month for a a person who was receiving more than 16,000 dirhams per month uh, and also capped at 60% of that income. So um, that's the sort of amount that a person can receive, maximum amount, 10,000 or 20,000 and up to three months following the termination of employment. Loads of questions, as I expected, Luke, coming in on this one. So let's bang through a few of them from our listeners who are desperate for a bit of clarification here. Is it mandatory or optional for employees? The announcements this week uh, are indicating that it will become a mandatory scheme. Um, But it's unclear at this stage, Tom, as to whether it's going to be mandatory with effect from the 1st of January 2023. But it does seem that at some point the intention is that it will become mandatory. Uh, Talal's also been in touch. Similar question, uh, I'm sure, but a little bit nuanced. Uh, do, the, do the employers have to initiate this scheme or will it become employee for, Will it become something inherent for the employers, the companies, the organisations to sign up to? Mm. I think it will be on employers to initiate um, the scheme, although ultimately um, what has been consistently stated throughout the legislation and throughout the announcements this week is that it will be an employee cost. Mm. So it will be the employees that pay the five or 10 dirhams per month. But I do think that that, that it will be for the companies to sort of initiate the contact with the um, insurers who are providing the scheme uh, and facilitate uh, the arrangements in relation to the, the membership of the scheme. 
Uh, 20 seconds left with you, Luke. Just in conclusion, a lot of people, certainly people like you and I from the UK, were going, is this the doll? um it's as close as it's as close as we've got to 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 the doll um but i think but i look tom i think it's really positive i think it it provides a real safety net for employees i think it's great for the employers as well to be able to go out and bring in the really talented people into the market it almost ticks that last box of sort of social security that expats wanted over here so so really positive and Please engage with the scheme and, uh, and and ensure that that you register for it if it's something that you'd be interested in. Nothing wrong with benefits. Uh, Luke, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> Luke Tapp, our partner at Pinson Masons. Thanks very much indeed for clarifying for us. Uh, that was Luke from Pinson Masons. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Adipec has wrapped up now. I was down there this week. Fascinating insights from some of the global leaders in the energy industry, from the chief executive of BP to the Energy Minister of Saudi Arabia. Let's hear from one of them now. I caught up with His Excellency Omar al-Sawadi, who's from the UAE. Who is he? Well, he's the Undersecretary at the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology here in the UAE. So it's his job to promote manufacturing and industry. It's a new ministry. And to give you his backstory, which is significant, he was 30 years as an Emirati working with Adnoc. He's a petroleum engineer by trade. So manufacturing and industry is absolutely in his blood. And we caught up with him at Adipec to talk about some of the things the UAE is doing to promote not just the oil industry, the energy industry, renewable industry, but manufacturing in general here in the UAE with a new initiative, newish, it's been around about a year or so, called Make It in the Emirates. The new news is the deal that they struck Adipec was a contract with the Abu Dhabi Investment Office. So we asked him, what, Your Excellency, are you trying to achieve? Well, uh, you know, we've started a campaign uh, last June called Make It in the Emirates. Uh, and overall, as part of our industrial strategy, 300 billion, we're trying to grow industry. We're trying to grow the industry's contribution to our GDP. And uh, one of the things that we do that, uh, that through attracting uh, companies we provide uh, opportunities, and with these opportunities, uh, you need enablers. Uh, Abu Dhabi Investment Office is one of our key partners, uh, looking at how can we make um, business, doing business in Abu Dhabi especially, UAE in general, uh, easier, uh, faster, and uh, uh, with less cost. Uh, and the day, it's, it's the bottom line for the company. So they help uh, newcomers um, uh, establish from their uh, first steps, uh, looking at uh, solutions uh, they, might, they might need, financial solutions, financing, uh, looking at some incentives, some rebates. So really trying to align our strategy, our priority sectors with the uh, enablers and incentives that ADIO, Abu Investment Office, offers uh, to industrialists. Well, give me some examples of the sectors that you're working in. One of them I know is hydrogen that's getting a lot of attention here at Adipec this year, but there are many, many others. What are some of the priorities for you? Yeah, of course. Hydrogen uh, is uh, definitely one of the, the key uh, topics we heard about in the first day with his Excellency Dr. Sultan Jaber. All sources of energy are required. Uh, hydrogen, we, of course, we, we are producing blue hydrogen. We're moving into green hydrogen. And one of the key uh, areas is the manufacturing, the electrolyzers. And that's something hopefully you'll hear about later today. We're signing a few MOUs between key um, technology providers uh, to get that industry going here manufacturing of electrolyzers for green hydrogen. 
some of the other sectors span, of course, we're in ADIPEC, so a lot of it is focused on oil and gas, uh, chemicals, petrochemicals, but we're also looking at uh, pharma, we're looking at FMB, we're looking at agri-tech, so there's quite a wide spectrum of uh, priority sectors uh, that we're focusing on, and there are a lot of common um, products that cut, cut across. So there's a lot of uh, manufacturing of equipment and electrical or electronics uh, advanced technology solutions that not only work with oil and gas, but work with the other energy companies, the medical companies. Uh, we did uh, sign a couple of weeks ago or a week ago um, uh, an agreement between um, Pure Health and two uh, significant companies, Gelfar, the pharma producer, and Abu Dhabi Medical Devices. One of the things that we do in the ministry is try to match demand and supply. So through our in-country value program, we bring in uh, the local uh, providers. We look at the demand and see how we can grow, whether it's capacity or the breadth of products that are available. And finally, how important is an event like ADIPEC bringing people together? It's an event you know well. You've spent several decades working with ADNOC. You've, yeah. you've chaired ADIPEC before. You've seen yeah. it grow. You've seen it change. Yeah. It's really a world-class event. I mean, this is the event in the energy uh, industry and also for industry. Uh, uh, all the decision makers come here, the ministers, the CEOs, the big uh, companies, providers, and uh, users of services. You always see the latest in technology, the latest in implementation. And what's more important, you see the big deals. Really, uh, people take advantage of this uh, event to announce the big deals. So it's really an opportunity, whether it's for the existing, the big companies, or the newcomers who want to know what's happening in the industry and try to get opportunities uh, for their investments. That's the voice of Omar Al-Sawadi, Undersecretary with the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology, speaking to me at ADIPEC this week. ADIPEC, the Abu Dhabi International Energy Exhibition and Conference. The world's most influential gathering of the energy industry. From the 31st of October to the 3rd of November. So ADIPEC was brilliant and you get to meet some extraordinary people. And you get to, as journalists, you get to interview lots and lots of people, which is brilliant. Either interviews like that one or on stage or whatever it may be. And it was fabulous. But you know when you're doing lots and lots of interviews, Tom, back to back, Mm. and you don't always ask the best questions. Yes. And you hear yourself ask a question, you think, that's a really bad question. And I was talking to a guy, a Norwegian guy from Microsoft. He was a brilliant guy. He's got a PhD in geophysics. Um, and I said, and the, the question I said to him, I'm paraphrasing, was... Who's um, going to win the World Cup? <laughs> well, well, not Norway, because they're not there, because Erling Haaland is not there. Um, but I said to him, um, can you explain in simple terms the role of artificial intelligence in geophysics? <laughs> <laughs> and he looked at me and said... Your chance, yeah. Good, Jog on. Not that good. He's got a PhD in geophysics. He's won a prize from the, the Norwegian Institute of Geophysics <laughs> for his geophysics. He's been doing it for 35 years for oil companies, and now he works with Microsoft. But yeah, it's one of, the, one of the worst questions I've ever asked. Can you explain in simple terms the relationship of artificial intelligence and geophysics? So I, I'm sorry if you're listening. No, but it is. I, I, I know exactly what you mean, because those sort of things do demand... Uh, a little, there's a little element of doorstepping, isn't there? You know, you can plan as much as you like, but then people go and turn up, and especially given the scale of those things and getting from one hall to another and things. And you do end up just sort of, you know, grabbing people pretty much and saying, is there any chance I can get three minutes with you or whatever? And you therefore have to think, 
on the hoof um, and go, <laughs> right, how am I going to sound semi-intelligent here <laughs> yes. in front of an astrophysicist <laughs> who's won the Nobel Peace Prize several times? It's true, isn't it? Um, yeah, so, you know, you, you, you wing it sometimes and sometimes it works and sometimes it's... Um, but yeah, anyway, it was brilliant. Amazing people down there. You had both quality and quantity at Adipate this year. So you had more than 40 ministers. And we spoke with the, you know, we heard from the Indian Minister of Petroleum, which is fascinating. We heard from the UAE Energy Minister. Of course, we did. You know, his, the, the president, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, had a significant presence in the week with that $100 billion deal with the United States on green energy. So some incredible people there, the, the chief executive of BP. I mean, I, I could go on. But then 150,000 others, including me. Mm. It's just from a live event perspective, forget the sector, whether it's oil or tech or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so many people there. Live events uh, are back. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's talk about the economy now. So the UAE is booming. PMI data out yesterday for the UAE was extraordinarily strong. And yet the global economy is in all kinds of trouble. How long can this last? Let's get the thoughts of Stephen Anderson. He's a partner with PwC based here in Dubai. Stephen, good morning. Thanks for having you with us in the studio. Your latest report is out and you say the following. The Middle East is not immune to the global squeeze but inflation in the gcc should start to trend down let's start bigger picture what are you seeing sure um i mean first of all thanks for the coffee um i just uh, remembered uh, having to get brandy her almond milk lattes in, in our <laughs> office and uh, uh, let's just say your coffee uh, could be improved so we're, we're, thanks for that this morning um just on that uh, sort of bigger picture i guess uh news overnight obviously yesterday with what's happening in the uk with uh, a 75 percent uh, 75 basis point rise uh, in interest rates. Uh, you've seen what's happening in the US uh, with the tightening there. I was actually in the US recently, and if you walk past a shop in the US, you will uh, you'll see they're advertising more for uh, vacancies than they are for what's actually in the in the shops. There's a way to go in terms of the interest rates there. So yes, we are seeing lots of pressure and, and seeing that potential global recession. The corollary to that, obviously, is what's happening here in the Middle East, and I think we'd describe that as almost like a Goldilocks moment. Uh, in terms of these things being uh, in good shape in the Middle East. First of all, you've got obviously oil price uh, and you've got what's happening with, uh, with, the, uh, with, with, with uh, the oil prices and that flowing through. So we're seeing uh, surpluses at the end of this year across the GCC will be around 17%. Uh, you're seeing uh, GDP figures for this year uh, around 6%, 7% in, uh, in Saudi, which will be one of the highest of the G20. So you're seeing this you know, real positive way from that side of things. Now, actually, what's interesting there, and trying to explain this, what we've got is both a high oil and a high dollar. And that's something that you don't typically see. You know, in, in our sort of our, our economics, we sort of say usually there, there's an inverse relationship there. And that's driving actually quite a lot of the interesting pieces that are happening on those other indicators. So if you take inflation, uh, where, yes, we have 11-year high inflation here uh, in the GCC, uh, but actually, we're about half the level we are in the rest of the Western world. And actually, it looks like inflation may have peaked. Uh, and there's an expectation that that may drop down to sort of 2% by next year. Uh, now, that's um, that's driven predominantly by this dollar situation where we have higher interest rates. And obviously, with higher interest rates here in the region, which may be ahead of where we would naturally set them, but we're obviously in lockstep uh, with where we are 
in the uh, in lockstep of the, with the, with the US in terms of having to put those rates up, and that's taking a lot of the froth potentially out of the market. It's meaning our imports are, are lower. Um, so we do have this kind of, as I said, this sort of Goldilocks situation at the moment where we have uh, a, a, an impending recession. FII last week, and we're talking about an impending recession, but actually we have a very strong dynamics here in the Middle East. I guess the question is, can that be sustained? Well, and that is the question. Let's have a let's hear from Kristalina Georgieva now, Tom. Can we hear from her? This was her speaking at the IMF World Bank meetings a couple of weeks ago, talking about the looming threat of global recession. Overall, we expect global output as a result of all this to shrink between now and 26 by $4 trillion. To give you a sense what is $4 trillion, this is the size of the German economy. Gone. And unfortunately, I am the natural optimist, but today I stand in front of you and I need to say more likely to get worse than to get better. That's Kristalina Georgieva this morning. Within the past two hours breaking, Barclays cutting its China GDP outlook, forecasting US and European recessions. How can we be Goldilocks, Stephen, when the world's facing such challenges? So it is an unusual situation. Obviously, terrible things happening in Ukraine, the knock-on on what's happening, and certainly what we're seeing around the broader uh, Middle East is a terrible situation. So if you look at places like Egypt and the importers, obviously they're suffering. Uh, I think the benefit we have here obviously, is that disruption in, in what's happening in fundamentals around commodities. Um, and we've seen that um, you know, OPEC have kept a, 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 a sort of a cap on that and we're, we're seeing the, the prices sustain. We think that will continue. I think beyond that, uh, obviously, there's memories. We have had situations where we've had high interest rates and a very strong economy here. That was in 2005 to 2008. I guess the challenge there is, well, we all know what happened in 2008. So is, is it a case of that there is a natural lag between a slowing down globally and what could happen here? I mean, I, and, I, and the reality I, I, would be right. I've got less money to spend at the shopping mall this weekend because of my mortgage. Yes. My mortgage repayments have gone up this month again. Yes, and, and, and likely to continue. Uh, so there will be a squeeze on, on the private sector. There will be a squeeze on households. Um, what we're seeing, certainly in the medium term, is that those government revenues and those oil revenues will act as a buffer for the non-oil economy. The non-oil economy is doing very well. Uh, obviously, it will flatten a little bit with those global pressures. Uh, but in the short term, uh, let's say over the next 12 months, we think the GCC is pretty resilient from what's going on around the world. Finally, before we let you go, let's talk about your industry, the, the effectively the consultancy industry, yeah. your PwC, one of the big players here. There are many other big players, a lot of them hub out of Dubai and service the region, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia. You mentioned that you were at the Davos in the desert last week. I last forget, week, yeah. I, I lose yeah. track of time. And you're at, you're at COP next week for Egypt. It, it, is that gravy train, gravy train still rolling, the consultancy bandwagon? I think the level of change that's happening in the region and disruption means there's a lot of demand uh, for our services. Um, I think, as I've said in the past, we're seeing in the region sort of digitization, decarbonization, localization, uh, privatization, and just general modernization of fiscal areas or healthcare, etc. Uh, and obviously, with that level of change, there's a lot of need for advice, there's a lot of need for uh, support in execution. Um, so certainly, we see um, the region has been a pretty strong market uh, from a consulting standpoint. So you're going to be, you're getting on a plane in a couple of days going to uh, COP in Egypt, aren't you? COP27. 
correct. Uh, so is Brandy Scott. Uh, so you can you could uh, meet up with Brandy there, and indeed our producer Shruti. Uh, Brandy's going to be our official COP27 correspondent. This has been made possible thanks to our partners 3M. We appreciate them. Brandy's going to be in Sharm El Sheikh in Egypt to, uh, to give it its official title. The 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference covering all the big decisions and discussions across the UAE hosting COP28 next year. Tune into the Business Breakfast all next week to hear from Brandy and some of her interviews. But 30 seconds, 20 seconds from you. What's the big story at COP27 in Egypt for you? So I think there'll be, I'm really excited about it. Many things happening. I think the big one will be, will we be able to keep to 1.5? I think there'll be a lot of debate around green financing. Uh, There'll be a a lot of pieces around uh, loss and damage, about mitigation and adaption, given where it's going. And then I'm really looking forward to some innovation. You mentioned solar uh, energy in space. Uh, You can see that at the the Museum of the Future. Uh, And we're actually doing a piece on energy to food. Um, So there's a big opportunity potentially for the Middle East to convert energy into food and feed the world. So those types of innovations I'm super excited about. Stephen Addison, Partner Strategy Markets Leader, PwC. Great talk to you. Appreciate your time this morning. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.